0: Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode two hundred ninety nine, recorded August thirty first, and I'm Brian Oaken. Hey, I'm Michael Kennedy, and I'm Will McGugan. Uh, Will's also known as usually the topic of Python Bytes. (laughs) (laughs) Time to time, you mention me, Uh, so (laughs) it's awesome to have you here. Um, But you're uh, you're part of Textualize, right? Or you are Textualize.
1: Um, that's right. I guess I'm part of Textualize. Um, we are a company, a, a very small company, but we're a tech startup.
2: Um, we have three employees, and we'll have five
1: in a few months. Nice.
2: Yeah, tell five. us a bit about it. You know, People know, that's amazing. Pe- tell people about it. They know about Rich mm. and Textual, perhaps, because we talk about all the things that are adopting Rich, but you actually have a company around that, which is super fantastic, right?
1: So the model is uh, we're building Textual, which is going to be like a free... Uh, an open source project distributed through PyPy. And then somewhere down the line, we're going to make this uh, web service, which takes those applications and then serves them on the web. And it'll be a, like a nice free tier, but we'll be able to add services nice. on top of that, which uh, we can, you know, charge a subscription for. That's fantastic. Like, like two TUIs as a service.
2: Two ease as a service, yes. Like there you <laughs> go. A TAS, a yeah. TAS platform. All right. Cool. <laughs> nice. Well, it's great to see all the progress there. It is. Brian, am I up on the first one? You are. So this one comes to us from John Hagen. Thank you, John, for sending this in. IPI has, the the warning is gone, but they were under a pretty heavy phishing attack and they wanted everyone to know they they had this big banner that was letting anyone who maintains a package is really where the, the problem lies. If you maintained a package like, say, Rich, the goal of this phishing attempt was to get your credentials so that you could then, so that they could sign in and put malware into that package. The more popular, the better, I presume. So this was a couple of days ago, August 24th, so like a week or so. So today we received reports of, this is from PyPI, the Python package index. Today we received reports of a phishing campaign targeting PyPI users, this is the first known phishing attack against PyPI. We're publishing the details here to raise awareness of uh, what is likely going to be an ongoing threat. Hmm. There was many comments and quote tweets and so on. It said uh, the background the phishing message claims to be there's a mandatory validation process being implemented, and they invite users to follow a link to validate their package, like a so. Otherwise, their package will be removed. So importantly, they say Note, we will never remove a valid project from the index. IPI only removes projects which violate their terms of service or in some way determined to be harmful, for example, malware. This takes you over to this site if you were to click the link to, if you look carefully here, sites.google.com slash view slash validate slash validate pipi package with some kind of redirect. And it does bad things when you fill this out. It just posts the form to somewhere else. So I guess they were hosting it on Google.com, you know, sites.google.com in an attempt to avoid like the domain getting blocked or something like that, right? But it posts over to uh, like linkedopports.com or some, I don't even know how you pronounce that domain, but don't go there. It's not good. And it says the malicious releases follow a pattern, exotel. And <laughs> I, I kind of laughed, even though it's not really funny. One of the packages that got fished um, through this email is called spam. <laughs> I don't know what spam does, but if you were like fished because your package, if you were fished by spam, and your package is called spam, there's just it's just too much meta for me. Will, did you hear about this? Did you get any notifications for your packages? Um, I didn't,
1: but I could see how um
2: if I got that early in the morning, I could fall for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, You're just waking up. My God, not another you know, thing I got to do. I feel like they're taking a little bit advantage of the. Um, the notifications coming from the Python Packaging Authority, mm. where they've been sending out messages about security and about packages, and there's the critical packages. Will, I saw you tweet, and Brian was like, wait, what is this? Uh, about what is a critical package the day that stuff came out. And so, yeah. I, you know, it kind of, uh, I think, is trying to hide under that that noise and slip through the cracks there a bit. I think
1: I don't get very many notifications from PyPy. I, yeah. I think the fact that um don't get very many I I might just um take them at their, their word. If you get a lot notifications, of notifications, you might learn to recognize what is a legit notification and, and what is some right. kind of um phishing attempt.
0: So you're asking PiPi to send us more email? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> <clears throat> Funny. So you can actually
2: look at what the code does uh, that is the the malicious versions. They said they've taken down and they've taken down several hundred Type of squatting ones that also do a pattern. The code is just set up. You no, know, it's just uh, it's hijacking the most used um, function or feature. Hmm. Try, get the computer name and then request the, uh, to install the thing if the, uh, over, off of this malicious place. If the platform is uh, Win32, we're going to get this script, uh, download this um, malicious exe. Download it with requests and then write it to a file and then just execute some executable and and that's pretty much what it was doing to all or attempting to do all to all these packages.
1: Hmm. It's kind of lazy this malware is not cross-platform when he works on Windows.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Come on. Well, I mean also they they they're looking for investors so that they can like expand to other platforms. Maybe they'll get a Mac OS and a Linux one coming at some point.
1: Just uh, hope our is listening.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like here's a, an opportunity to, I don't know what it does when it runs, but it, it can't be good. Whatever it does. <laughs> can't be good. Now, I remember I got an email from someone and I'm sorry I I didn't pull the, the details together as part of the, the write-up here saying, I think it was on Twitter, a DM that said, um, you're probably going to talk about this. Um, the 2FA wouldn't necessarily help you because... If they ask for the 2FA, you're going to enter it in maybe there and it might, you know, pass it, pass it through as part of the, the process as well. Right. It could it could maybe get a software based 2FA uh, and use it. But you know what does help with this really, really well? Password managers, mm-hmm. one password, last pass and so on. If you go there and it says enter your password and you hit the hotkey to like fill out the the site or you click in there like with one password if you just access it with the latest version it'll automatically drop down or suggest the drop down for the site if you do that it will not come up with anything because you don't have an account at sites.google.com presumably for this this login right yeah and so some combination thereof i think you know is at least i always if i go to a site the the less sure i am i like double check does the password manager think it should fill this account into this website Mm-hmm. If it says no, then I, I triple check it. It's not just like, oh, the password manager is not working. Let me just copy it over, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's there's a, some more details in here. You can read about what they're doing and uh, what you should do. Some ideas on how to verify the signed certificate. I would prefer to just use a one, uh, just a, a password manager right away instead of trying to follow the, the chain of the cert, but you can do that as well. Anyway, it says uh, it's got a lot more details there if you want to check that out. What do you all think? Sure. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting, and it's
1: um, it's an on, ongoing threat. I think uh, if you're an internet user, you, you're getting bombarded with this. Um, yeah. With, with PyPy, um if they get a hold of your, it, it it seemed like it was more like attacking individuals. Um, what, were they trying to get your credentials to like install malware in in your? package I'm packages? pretty
2: sure what they were doing is they were publishing a new version of your package. Ah, uh, okay. Mm. And the new version had. Malware in it. Yeah. So yeah. That would be a huge concern. Um, Yeah. 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 It it says, yeah. We've additionally determined that some maintainers of legitimate projects have been compromised and malware published as their latest release for those projects. Their accounts have temporarily been frozen and the bad versions removed, but that's what they were trying to do. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Well, good on them for catching it.
2: Um, Yeah, for sure. I love how Seth out the audience says another win W (laughs) W I N for Linux on the desktop. Yeah. How about that?
0: Yeah. Or, or Mac. I'm like, well, I would, that wouldn't hit me at all, but
2: yeah. It's, 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 However, anybody, any package that you publish it, or yeah. got, it would, it would affect your windows users if you were the maintainer.
0: Which is ha- well, half the users, as we know about, you know, half, yeah. at least half the operating systems are windows. Mm-hmm. Python. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So. Not so
0: good. So um,
2: Seth also points out that the, the, Timing of this phishing combined with Dustin mentioning there hadn't been any uh, phishing attacks or or something like that is in Dustin Ingram. It's don't give people ideas. uh, By the way, you want to hear more about this? I did interview Dustin with this like three weeks ago or so on Talk Python, um, talking about Python packaging and security and supply chain stuff. But all that predated the phishing side, but not the malware side. So people can check that out if they want. Okay. All right. Anyway, make make sure that you don't put your password for PyPI in the wrong place.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, how about we talk about something nice or yes, friendly. So. We can have nice things, not <laughs> if we can have nice things. Like Python being on top of the IEEE spectrum languages. So it had so it has been for a while. So this is I we're just reviewing this to say yay us, um, partly. But there's some interesting information here. So uh, if we go through the um, the review stuff, there's a, there's a cool chart. So the top programming languages of 2022. Python's at the top. It's both the spectrum uh, survey. Actually, I don't know where the spectrum number comes from. I assume it's a survey thing. Um, and then trending, it's on top also, a little different. And cool animation graphics on there. But one of the interesting bits is in jobs. If you look at job listings, I think they were looking at job listings and requirements. SQL is at the top. And this is, um, mm. there's, this is a comment because um, it's, it's, not, it's not just SQL. You're, they're not going to just say, we need somebody that knows SQL. But it's like <laughs> Python and SQL or Java and SQL or JavaScript and SQL. Uh, the yeah. and SQL part is coming in a lot now and actually more than it used to. Um, which is interesting. There's also uh, a related article in the same on IEEE as well called the rise of uh, the rise of SQL. And it's really talking about that, of um, that it's not, it's not just because I mean, I, I, I do remember SQL's always been a part of uh, programming or it has been as for my career. Uh, but it's often been a larger thing. It's not something you do in a small application. It's something in the, in the server or large applications. But it's growing. It's growing in using it for even little small things, and and a lot of uh, applications. You don't have a specialist doing the database stuff. You you've got uh, the developers doing the database every, everything. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. Mm. That just the that the, the highlighting that SQL is is and always will be important, and it's even growing in popularity.
1: It's interesting that um, ORMs haven't made a dent in that. You know, I used to use Django Orms back in the day and didn't have to touch yes. SQL. Um, but but clearly, people are not using Orms that much if, if SQL's like top of the, the charts there.
2: My first thought when I looked at this was there's probably a lot of data warehouse, data lake, semi-structured data that people are exploring with SQLs and queries before they lock it down and, you know, productionize it mm. with with an ORM or something along those lines, right? Like the data science side, if a lot of that data is dropped into a database by an API or some web scraping or something, and then you have to ask it questions. And like mm-hmm. knowing the SQL is the asking arbitrary questions of the data before you really know what questions ask is, is my first thought, but yeah, ORM's
0: all the way for the win. For me, I'd, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do straight SQL. I'm There's also a growth, growing thing of just doing a small, like a SQLite, just the knowledge that SQLite is everywhere. Um, and I don't mm-hmm. know if um, if SQLite has any effect on this or or if Simon Willison does, um, because he, <laughs> he's um, uh, with data set, uh, taking like CSVs and stuff and turning them into a uh, little SQLite um, websites. Um, but things like that have just even uh, yeah services and smaller applications collecting data. Uh,
1: isn't there um, a JavaScript API to SQLite? Um,
0: uh, I think there's. There's all languages have. I think APIs into SQLite. Yeah. I think
1: something built into the browser is local storage. Does that not use SQLite, or am I mistaken?
2: Don't think that that does. But it's it's very similar. If it's mm. not the same, it's it's like yeah, the the, lo, the what do they call it? Called? Local SQL or lo, local DB, something like that. Mm. I, I wonder you if that's confusing too. To, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Dave out in the audience says, I wonder how the jobs one was measured though. SQL can be one of those not really considered must-have items that often goes into the list of requirements. You really could just use an
0: uh, ORM. Yeah, that and that might be the case. But um, even with <laughs> ORMs, sometimes you got to get in there and find out what's wrong, like do uh, optimizations yeah. and things. <laughs> so. Yeah. Kim out in the audience says, is it becoming
2: less common for developers to know at least enough SQL to be dangerous? I think that that's the where the minimum bar for what you should know to use an ORM. You should know kind of what's happening. You should know what a join is and that you might want to do it so it doesn't do 50 queries. You do only one and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very, very cool, Brian. Well, what, where are we at next? Well, I think Will is up. <laughs> what you got for our first one,
1: Will? Um. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. So I came across this article. Um, It's by Charlie Marsh about using mypy in production at spring and uh I looked at spring and it's a some kind of interface for uh researching medicine but he was saying that um they have a they have a big project three hundred thousand lines of python and they started wow. uh, typing it and that was a, a few years ago and they've since typed uh, the entire, entire code base and they were, they were very impressed um it's, it's reduced bugs and made things more maintainable, and even um have all the strictness settings on onto max. And you know, I'm a, a big fan of typing, but I don't have I have everything um on, on max. I, I relax it just a, just a tiny bit, but um they've they've got uh, all the settings on there. So he covers um the basics of typing There's some interesting stuff about the the history uh, of typing. Right. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting how typing started. It didn't um you know. Spring out of nowhere with the same goals. It did actually evolve um, through various other projects. Originally, when MyPy started, I think they were building something that was um, uh, essentially more like MyPy C. It was to run Python with with typing to uh, use to the typing faster. to actually sort of transpile to another language, almost right. Yeah, yeah, and then it turned into a, a, a type checker which didn't actually run your code; it just um, analyzed your code. <laughs> um, so it's quite an interesting article. Uh, that they they cover the how it started and go through a bunch of their experiences um with with typing in MyPy in generally in general they cover uh, improved readability. Um, that's a big one for me I, I I love typing and I find I find it makes code more readable. some people uh, would disagree because you add lots of these annotations and some people find that clutters your code. Um, I, I find it super helpful to um, understand uh, other people's code. And to understand my code because I don't have to remember uh, the types of
2: everything when I can just see uh, them written down. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I think you know there's a I think a fear that, oh look, Python is becoming like C or something. Mm. But you know, it's it's nice and clean and it's simple until you're focused on some area, some function or a class or something. You're like, well, well, what happens here? You can either go read the documentation, try <clears> to put <throat> it together. Or you can go find all the places it's used and try to put it together. Or if it has types, you you don't have to go do that exploration, right? You're just like, okay, this is an yeah. integer and this is a list of users. I know what's happening now. Like, I yeah. don't need to hold more information in my brain. And I think that makes it great.
0: The yeah, shape it, of data is kind of, what really helps me. So like like you you mentioned, like a number or a list or something. But sometimes things can either conceptually, an an argument to a function could be one thing or it could be a set of things is it expecting if it's just one thing, it, can I do, you know, can I do that or is it expect, and types can give you that. And one of the things you, you mentioned, which perfectly sum up, sums up my, my philosophy for typing is I don't want to do it, but I want everybody else to mm. uh, put types <laughs> in there because <laughs> uh, it's yeah readability counts. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Also, Mr. Wilson and uh, the audience points out typing, typing greatly assists uh, with co-completion. The editors yeah it's, it's got a bunch of um
1: tangential benefits it's not just the one benefit i mean um it catches bugs but even if it didn't even if it didn't i think typing would be a, an excellent addition to python i agree um, if i can hit dot and it gives me more help i'm already happy yeah bingo yeah it's um yeah i love typing this is a it's a very nice article um i'll let
2: people read it yeah they also talk about the pain points of like how that was painful for them i think using Trying to get my pie to completely analyze everything is a different mm. level of. I want my public interface to to say what it returns. You know, there's yeah. like you, you got to decide where do you live on this spectrum and, and what are some of the goals. Like catching bugs, it's more important to have everything covered. Sort the documentation, uh, you know, a little bit less, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I found it's changed my programming style. Um, the code I write is um, is less dynamic. I'm more likely to uh, fix types quite early on and i don't do any well i don't do too much get atter and set atter uh, and yeah. i don't use all the dynamic capabilities of python i prefer to write static code that looks a bit more like c so i can understand why people have that they, they feel like it's taken away a bit of freedom from them um but i do think it's, it's given you uh the freedom to write solid code um that doesn't have uh you know no attributes on none type errors
2: yeah I agree. I think you compare it to things like um, TypeScript. TypeScript has a similar idea, but TypeScript is very particular, and if you don't get it just right, it'll give you compiler errors, and it won't it won't do the steps it needs to do to make the JavaScript. Whereas Python, maybe your editor will give you a warning, or some tool like MyPy will give you a warning, but it doesn't really get in the way of it still functioning. You know, which mm-hmm. unless you're doing something where it depends upon it, like Pydantic or FastAPI, where it's actually using that, but most of the time it's it's there when you want it, and you can kind of ignore it if you don't yeah, yeah, so rich has a lot of um uh yeah ty- rich is fully typed
1: yeah um uh, so so textual um it's not passing my pie currently, there are some like little dynamic corners and little typing errors which we're gradually uh, improving, but uh, all new code is, is typed and uh and changes are typed, so yeah, we're really big on on typing at lines,
2: Brian, how about um with your PyTest extensions, plugins?
0: <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't really come up much, but uh, I I don't really think about it a lot, actually. So um, I would like, but I have other applications that I'm working on that I definitely involve typing. And I, I started out with just the, like you were saying, trying to help with documentation. So making sure the API is typed. Um, I think that's essential. I don't think, mm-hmm. I think it's just a good idea. Um, especially now with the improvements of some of the typing, so you can do, you don't have to say union anymore. I like the bar for, or yeah. like it's, a, it's a none you know, it's this, it's an int or a none or something mm-hmm. like that. That's way cleaner than it used to be. And you don't have to import typing as much as you used to. Um, I don't want to import typing just so that I can type some type hint something. It seems wrong. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, and I'm on the phase of trying to integrate it more into the rest of my code just because I'm, you know, even in a solo project, sometimes you're also a user because you come back to something six months from now and try to figure out what you're doing. Um, and it's nice to be able to not have to look at the code. So I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we could find Will. Yeah. So uh, I want to say something nice <coughs> about the AI in real life um, and actually the uh, podcast IRL. From Mozilla. So this episode of Python Bytes is brought to you by the IRL podcast, um, an original podcast from Mozilla, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. I'm listening to a whole bunch of it. If you care about ideas behind technology, not just the tech itself, you'll enjoy IRL. Tech has an enormous influence on our society. Many effects are beneficial. The influences, like, for instance, the information and assistance we get through cell phones is amazing. I love being able to look up the closest coffee shop wherever I'm dropped on the earth or knowing where my kids are. But some are not so great because, like, I don't want somebody else to know how often I hit the coffee shop. And I definitely don't want somebody else tracking my kids. So Mozilla has always been on the lookout for possible downsides to technology and works to mitigate negative influences of tech on The negative influences on all of us. If ideas like that and concerns about technology resonate with you, you should definitely check out the IRL podcast. This season is hosted by Bridget Todd and is looking at AI in real life. Uh, Who can AI help? And also who can it harm? The show features fascinating conversations with people who are working to build a more trustworthy AI and also using AI to help us. So uh, I really enjoyed a few episodes so far. There's an episode on how our world is mapped with ai so data and maps is being used to make decisions uh, that affect real people even uh, like for by districts and by governments but how can people reclaim the power over their own maps and stories using ai this is fascinating uh, episode another episode is about gig workers who depend on apps for their livelihood it looks at how they're pushing back against algorithms to control how much they get paid and seeking new ways to gain power over the data to create better working conditions. Um, uh, and how about elections? So episode four of this season addresses the role of, that AI plays when it comes to both spreading disinformation around elections, but also um, how to combat disinformation. This is a huge concern for democracies around the world, and uh, for me, especially in the U.S. But I know it affects everybody. If this sounds interesting to you, you should try it because it is interesting. Try an episode for yourself. Just search for IRL in your podcast player, or visit PythonBytes.fm/irl. I think the best way is to select IRL. Go to PythonBytes.fm/irl so they know you came from us, uh, and the the link is in your show notes. Thank you, IRL and Mozilla, for supporting our show.
2: Yeah, cool podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Mozilla. All right, on to the next one. Well, we already touched a little bit on the whole ORM thing. And I hear some people use Django. It's a web framework. Uh,
0: Yeah, a few people use it. I'm proud of it. Uh, Yeah.
2: (laughs) So really popular. And they're picking up the speed, of course, for their releases, right? For a long time, it was one. And we had two, three, four. Going really quickly over a couple of years there. Well, one of the big moves with many of the web frameworks ever since Python 3.6 or so has been how are you going to participate and facilitate using async and await, right? If you're doing a long database query and you block with an ORM request, for example, what do you, you know, how, how do you parallelize that or scale that without much effort? Well, the async IO is perfect for it, but if your APIs don't support it, you can't use it. And Django has been making its way towards having async capabilities. But what is the one thing that d- websites wait on the most? Databases. What is the one thing Django did not have async support for? Databases. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little bit little bit late here uh, on the announcement. So in the beginning of August, Django 4.1 came out. And uh, this means 3.8 and above. But the big deal is the second one actually isn't asynchronous ORM interface for doing queries. So you can do anything that's a query set. So you can say, like if you have a class, a model class called authors, you would say author.objects.filter. And then you do a thing and so on. So now you can say async for and do your query. And now it's all happening async. And if you want to do um, like a join author.books, you you can await getting access to that thing. Books normally has a dot first in this <coughs> example, but they've now added also an a first. So if you want the async version, you put the a as a prefix. Not sure how I feel about that. Not sure I would have gone this this path, but you know, doesn't really matter. It's awesome that there's some kind of async support in the Django ORM. So that's that's really really cool. So I think I just wanted to mm. highlight that this has been a major blocker to. Like real async programming in Django, it's like well, you can make the web, the web view method async, but then you can't do async stuff that you really want to do. So you know where are you, right? This is like this unlocks the the final piece, yeah. right? You could call APIs previously with say HTTPX asynchronously, but then block on the database. Now just use the A version and off you go.
1: I guess um, they couldn't make the the one without A. They couldn't make first awaitable uh, because that would break um, old code, I imagine.
2: Yes, but here's my thought, right? So what I'm getting back? So when I say async for author in query, you Itch are now returns. you're switching into an async mode. So I think the mm. thing that returns would be really great if it like now everything must be async on it. Right. If you just said for author in query, now it returns a synchronous and everything on it must be synchronous. This is this is how I would have maybe done it instead of trying to like prefix everything with a and and double down on it, but maybe it was just a bridge mm. too far i don't know but this yeah. is this is what i had in mind when i said I, i'm not sure what it I, like you can go in async mode or synchronous mode and then you're kind of there is what i had mm-hmm. in mind
1: yeah, yeah that makes sense um the async 4 would return a, a special version of the the object which had different first methods the same api but but waitable
2: right but uh, but awaitable yeah. exactly exactly mm-hmm. uh, you know that doesn't mean they can't do that in the future potentially but Yeah. Okay, a few other updates just for while I'm already here. The thing I really wanted to call it is async ORM in Django, good to go. Also, you can have class-based views where you have a class and then methods like get, post, put, and so on. Or you can have just method-based ones. I prefer the method-based stuff uh, with a decorator. But if you have the class-based ones, they now can also be async, right? So that's cool. And uh, there's also some validation of constraints is one of the other big changes. So check unique and exclusion constraints defined in meta constraints are uh, options are now checked during model validation. Apparently they weren't before, so that seems pretty valuable too. But the ORM is the big news, I think. Yeah. Yep. Mm, that must cool. be nice. All a right. So yeah, it's great project. to see Django yeah. coming along. It's it's been around for so long as a, a stalwart of the Python web world, and now it's much closer to the most modern features, which is great. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. All
0: right. Brian, what you got next for us? Um, I have uh, walrus operators. <laughs> so I,
2: got I really walru- Walruses on the brain.
0: I do. I like walrus operators, the walrus operator, but I don't think I've been using it enough. And especially because this article is telling me all sorts of places that I should use it more. So I've got a an article um, from Martin Hines, titled, uh, You Should Be Using Python's Walrus Operator, Operator, and here's why. And there's some just some stuff that I never even really thought about before. Like, uh, it just starts right off the bat. I'm talking about the, uh, as as a basics, uh, in the basics section, I never would have thought about this. So there's a there's a list that happens to call a function to create the data in a list, and it calls it three times. Now, really... I probably wouldn't have done this in code. I probably would have called the function once and then named the variable and stuck it in there. But you can do that, it's still easier. You can do the, call the function in the first element and save the value and then use the value in, uh, in future operations just to create a list. So right off the bat, that's pretty cool. I wouldn't have thought to do that, it's nice. Um, I I didn't actually quite follow this. Oh, we, we get to save, here's a, a, a co- con- comprehension, where a function is called twice, uh, so you you, you you put in the value of a function if for if something around the function, like if it's not, if it's true or in, if it evaluates boolean true. Um, you can do that with a with the walrus operator and only call it once. so that's kind of cool. Um, the, one of the things I, I really liked around was I didn't think about before, but I'm definitely going to use it now is the regular expression match function. You often had to call match and then if the, if something was found, then you do something with the match object, you call the, get the groups or some other thing on the match object. It is cleaner to just go ahead and uh, do the call, like go ahead and do that as a query of whether or not the match returns something right with a walrus operator, way cleaner code. So I like this. Um, and it, it, actually, it's just a fairly big article talking about a whole bunch of places. Now here's, here's the place where I like wild true loops uh, that always drives me nuts or having to flag something. Um, this is, uh, this is definitely a place where I started using walrus operator right away of instead of saying like wild true or wild flag or something, uh, do something and, and then, uh, and then, you know, break out if necessary or set the stop bit or something, you can do that right within the while loop it's i actually i don't know if it's cl- it is cleaner it's less code <laughs> i don't know if this is easier to read though um any thoughts from you guys
1: yeah um i think once you know it it's not too bad um it is quite different from python prior to the walrus operator um even for me I'm, i i barely use the walrus operator because i'm working on libraries and the minimum version is 3.7
0: yeah, so right. I ha- yeah. I haven't trained myself to, yet.
1: To, to to read the Walrus operator, but to me that that doesn't look too bad. That looks really clear.
0: Okay,
2: yeah, and- this is nice, uh, especially if um, you do one of those things where, like, the example here is getting input from the user, where you might get input from the user and then say, Wow, it's not exit or whatever. Then in your loop, you get the same input with an, the same basic question again, but you've got to ask it before to see if they ever mm. enter. The, you know, there's like this weird sort of do it two times and you could skip that with the shop operator, which is very cool. Mm.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to do that. Like like on this the top example of just putting the command equals input and doing that above exactly. the loop. Yeah, and then do so the same
2: that, test. Exactly. Yeah, Exactly.
0: Because uh, I, I really don't like while true loops. uh
2: only if you mean really do it forever, right? Yeah. Or, or like until, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Until it really is some but, case where you need to break out of it, yeah.
0: Anyway, so uh, the rest of the article is great too, accumulating in place. There's a whole bunch of cool places. Um, oh, this is one I r- really liked. I wanted to highlight. Uh, oh, naming, wow. naming values inside of an f-string. So here's a, there's an example of an f-string where you like take the date time. And you're using, for instance, you might set use the date time value in two different formats. It formatted in two different ways. It, it, once with what year, month, day, and once with A, which I don't know what A is, but oh, which is the the, the day spelled out for like Friday. Um, now, it, it it's assigning the date time today value to today a today variable and then using it using the value in a format string and then using the today variable later in the same format string. Um, this is a pretty cool trick. And there's, I mean, there's multiple times where I'm using the same value in a couple places because I'm formatting it different with an F string. So this is pretty cool. Mm. So.
2: Yeah, that is pretty cool. The one that I really like is the list comprehension because that always drives me crazy. If you're going to do an an if section, right? You know, if you're going to say, X for X in collection if something. Yeah. And that the thing you want in the list is some kind of like a database call or some other thing that has to be computed. Then you need to test that computed value before the Walrus operator. You had to call that function twice, no matter what. Like if that was yeah. a go get me the user from the data, like I want to go through all the emails and then get a list of users that correspond to them. But maybe some of the emails don't actually exist in the database. Every if statement has to be. Get me the user if it exists. And then the <laughs> list result, the the value select out is also get me the user, right? And this way, when it's really expensive like that, it's it's super nice. It also is really useful in this situation when you're doing data science stuff that expects one line of mm-hmm. a thing. You know, you're like, I want to do, I want to pass this expression to like a Panda's data frame or some other thing. And you can kind of get a little bit more done this way. It's really nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Actually, I hadn't thought about doing it within uh within the the like the the l the if clause within a comprehension or something. So yeah.
2: This is the one where there was no other way. Like there is no way in the in 37 to do this without calling the function twice in a comprehension. You could do a totally different structure mm-hmm. like a loop or something, right? But in a comprehension where you have to have one line like a data science mm-hmm. scenario, you had to yeah. call it twice until the walrus Around. So I think that's I, fantastic. Yeah. That's like, I
1: suppose you, you could um <clears throat> create a list of, um expression of the return
2: value of funk
1: and then yeah.
2: then use a zip or something, but it's super awkward. Right, exactly. Mm. Yeah. All right, so cool. very cool. It's nice to see a bunch of different use cases because then you can you can see, oh oh I, I will never do that. That's horrible. But this <laughs> is really great. and I didn't do yeah. that, right? Like you could even see in the audience people are reacting, like, this is amazing, but this one is I don't know about this one. <laughs> this is
0: yeah. 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 So cool. Well what do we got next from from you, Will? Ah, uh, yeah.
1: Um oh we're right and right page. Um so I'm sure we all love regular expressions. We have a um, love hate relationship with them. Yeah. Those uh <laughs> I I'm not I don't like regular expressions, but I use them a lot because they're they're powerful and there is no really there is no um alternative a lot of the time. Um but they are very difficult to read. You tend to get long strings of gibberish, which even if you're um, very well versed in regular expressions, uh, you might find it quite hard to parse and figure out what's actually doing. Um, you know, when you've come back to your code, you know, like in the in the afternoon. Um, but this is a, a library written by uh, Al Swigert, and I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, rhymes mm-hmm. with Weidert. Um He's uh, an author, and he's written this uh, this Python library, which gives you kind of like a, a nicer way of expressing regular expressions. It, it compiles regular expressions from a bunch of, bunch of uh, function calls, and these function calls are much more descriptive, and they, they read quite well. So you can um, essentially uh, read a regular expression um, in the future
2: and and find it quite legible. Let's
1: see if you can find I some. like
2: the, the either option. It's either this, or it's yeah. that for example. It's very yeah. readable.
1: Like um here here or we've got exactly one, exactly five digits plus optional white space plus one or more non-white space. That's very readable. If you read that a second time, um you'd know exactly what that did. Um mm-hmm. but if you saw this, this is a very short regular expression. <laughs> <clears throat> um Yeah, exactly. <laughs> even if you're good at regular expressions, and I've been using them for, for fifteen years, I'd have to like analyze that. And it might take me several minutes to figure out what what that does. Um so this, this you know, if it's quite powerful just for Such a short regular expression but you can make uh, much larger ones you know here's something that's more complicated but still quite readable um either non-capturing group non-capturing group either this or that one or more of this uh, plus non-capturing group um it's it's readable and um you can you know come back to it and and other developers see it they can understand what's what's going on and in the end it, it compiles it to a regular expression so it's just um it's just as fast and and powerful but um now it's just easier to work with
2: so I'm yeah it's really nice because one. um the output of this little library is just the text pattern of the regular expression which then you can do it's not like you've got to adopt this entire library for everything yeah yeah, yeah. you can um you know just
1: anywhere that you need to write a complex regular expression you could use this um i guess if you wanted to <clears throat> develop the regex you could use this, and then once you've yeah. done, you could compile it, and then put the the actual regex back in your code, um, or you could just leave it
2: like that. It's probably
1: not it's not slow. You know, it just does no, no. I would concublish. I would
2: probably leave it like this. But I'm thinking mm. if you're using another library where it expects a a regular expression <laughs> string, mm. right? It's it's still totally compatible with that because you just say, "Give me the string," and off it goes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's yeah. not going to break anything. It's not like you're um switching or you don't have to port anything per se um, exactly. it's a nice drop in thing when you need it so yeah it's pretty cool yeah very cool excellent find or
0: all of those um so that thing library is called Hum h-u-m-r-e is that hu- uh, human humor-y? readable regular hum- expressions i think mm. i i just like i'm gonna i'm gonna call it humor because uh, <laughs> because then the, the regular expressions are humorous um so yeah yeah <laughs> very nice <laughs>
2: Okay, I love it. All right, Brian, is that all of our things? I, all of our main I, topics?
0: I think that is. Do we do we have any extras?
2: I didn't, but now I do. <laughs> okay, let's have it. Out in the audience, uh, Dean pointed out that um, the very first PyData Tel Aviv is happening in December, December thirteenth, twenty twenty-two. So, if you're in Tel Aviv and you care about Python data stuff, you know, check that out. The uh, call for proposals, I think, is open for um, two weeks or something like that. So, yeah, if you want to submit a talk or attend, then there you go. Nice. Cool. Yeah, cool. All right, but that's my
0: only extra. Okay. Um, well, w- you know what? I'm not going to let Will off the hook because the reason why I wanted you on here is so that you could promote uh, Rich CLI. So, oh, okay. <clears throat> t- t- um, t- yeah. Uh so why do you want more people to use Rich CLI? Or why do you think more people should use it? Um I just think it's a, a cool <clears throat> project. I I use it.
1: Um you've got all the power of rich, um, but it's on the, the command prompt, so you can uh syntax highlight files. You can also just uh generate uh, colorful rich style content. You can put those in your bash scripts. Um it's just a, a very useful thing. Um uh, yeah, I was it's uh, you can get it from Homebrew. If you do uh, Homebrew install rich, and um, then you'll have uh, rich at the the command prompt, and you can use PipX, And uh, yeah, it's got a lot of uh, cool stuff.
0: So, do you have some like some workflow that you're using it for on a regular basis, or do you use all of these workflows? It's more just a, a general
1: tool. Okay. You know, um, when I'm navigating, you know, the command prompts, I want to look at a file. Um, if it's a large file, I, I can use pager and I can uh, page it up and down. Um. Yeah, it's just oh, people check it out. Uh, it can it can display nice tables. You can take a, a CSV uh, and turn it into a nicely formatted rich table, and you can generate simple things like rules. And uh, oh, it can display Markdown as well. So it's it's kind it's kind of like a it's a general toolbox of like rich related stuff from the command prompt.
0: Uh, I think I'm going to use it for see. I didn't I didn't know it did CSV so easily. So I'll, I think I'll use it. Yeah. For that. So maybe.
2: Anytime you might type more or cat or something like that to see the contents of a file, you're proposing now I could type rich and get you know syntax highlighting and better.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so something you do like rich, and then name the file, then hyphen, hyphen, pager, and it'll give you a nice uh, uh, textual style pager. Okay. So th- th- this came together in, I think, two weekends. <laughs> um, at some point, I'll, I'll go back and uh, polish it a bit more because there's there's a few issues people asking for, uh,
2: new features. Okay. Yeah, cool.
0: Two weeks. Yeah, Kim
2: in the audience says, Rich CLI has replaced CAT, JQ, and Markdown tooling for me with one tool. Cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, very All nice, right. Kim.
0: Well, how about a joke? Oh, yeah, what, a joke, and then I've got one more thing.
2: Okay. Well, I do have a joke, as you can imagine. So here's an example of where somebody is using open source to help keep their account secure. And this is uh, some kind of list of like common passwords or really reused passwords that people want to, you know, somebody has posted these says, here's a list of passwords that people seem to use a lot and get reused a lot. So please don't use this as a password or check and don't let people use these passwords for their accounts, right? So someone comes along to this uh, <laughs> to this repo and they remove the word dolphins as a PR <laughs> and the the message is, remove my password from list so hackers won't be able to hack me. <laughs> the, the list is 10 million uh, password uh, top 1,000 lists. I mean, uh, this is proactive business right here. <laughs> uh, that might funny. actually
1: work if the hackers are very lazy and uh, don't look at the Git history. <laughs> it
2: might. Actually, there may be a very small percentage of effectiveness to this. Uh, but you're also saying, my email address is this and my password is that, so please don't put them together. <laughs>
1: Assuming yeah, you and by the way, this is my credit clear. card number. So don't, don't <laughs> exactly. paste that anywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah. So all right. anyway, that's um, my joke. Okay. Well, the last thing I just wanted to say is I got a new hat recently. So I wanted to show off my new hat. Oh so. yeah. Let's see it. It's a, it's a top hat. I love hat, it. So.
2: It's a Not top anyway. hat
0: with a, like a five inch butterfly. Oh, it's it. got lots it's of terrible. butterflies. So. <laughs> and they're all, they're all leather and it's a, uh, it's <clears> custom made from a guy in Oakland. So it's my new hat. It's fantastic. But, and it perfectly matches both your shirt and your background. Did that on purpose. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Or, my or on porpoise, or on dolphin. No. Um, <laughs> anyway. Indeed. So. Fantastic. Uh, well, thank, all right. Love that. Thanks Will for uh, thank joining us today. it a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having for me. Thanks Michael. And. Yeah, you bet. We'll, we'll see talk you all to later. Anyway. Bye. Bye.